0: This episode is brought to you in part by Akunu. Akunu for Sales is the first buyer-aware platform for account-based selling on Salesforce. Akunu integrates your sales process with buyer behavior to verify buyer-seller alignment and increase confidence in the status of your deals. It eliminates time-consuming data entry for sales reps and makes your sales pipeline and deal review meetings data-driven and much more efficient, giving your sales reps and their managers the time and insights needed to win more deals. So, do you know how your deal review process stacks up against other B2B sales organizations? Visit akunu.com forward slash accelerate to access Akunu's benchmark report revealing the deal review habits of B2B sales managers and tips for managing deal reviews. See how you stack up and create your action plan for a better deal management. Get your report at akunu.com forward slash accelerate. That's A-K-O-O-N-U dot com forward slash accelerate. It's time to Accelerate. Hi, friends. This is Andy. Welcome to Episode 581, 581 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I am excited to be talking with my guest today. Joining me on the show is Marshall Goldsmith. Marsha Goldsmith is widely recognized as one of the most influential business thinkers in the world and the number one leadership thinker in the world. He's the author of multiple New York Times best-selling books, including one of my favorites, Mojo, How to Get It, How to Keep It, It, How to Get It Back If You Lose It, another book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, How Successful People Become Even More Successful, and lastly, the book we're going to be talking about today, Triggers, Creating Behavior That Lasts, Becoming the Person You Want to Be. Now, if you've listened to Accelerate at all over the past two years, you know that I'm a strong believer that our success in sales and in life can be traced to mastering a handful of just core habits. And in his book Triggers, Marshall Goldsmith lays out what I consider to be the most useful framework for examining your behaviors and developing and mastering the habits that can change the course of your career and your life. And in today's conversation, we're going to dive into this process of behavior change or habit change that he lays out. And then, also, he's going to share with us an extremely powerful tool that you can use. In fact, a tool that Marshall Goldsmith himself uses to hold, accountable, hold ourselves accountable for our behaviors and our actions. Uh, very interesting conversation. Make sure you check this one out. Now, if you'd like to see summary notes for this episode, as always, go to andypaul.com. In this case, go andypaul.com forward slash 581 to see a timestamp breakdown of this conversation. As I mentioned, last week, October is the official second anniversary month of Accelerate. Yeah, we're like kids, only two years old, it's no longer good enough just to have a, a birthday. We need to have a birthday month. And uh, it's been a really interesting time, because thanks to your support, Accelerate has become widely acknowledged as the premier podcast for sales leaders. The show has also been recognized twice by Inc. Magazine just in the past year. First as one of the top 12 leadership podcasts. Now, you might say, well, Accelerate's not a leadership podcast, but you know, who's on the show, for example? Today, Marshall Goldsmith, number one leadership thinker in the world. And just last week, Inc. magazine recognized Accelerate as one of the top eight most binge-worthy marketing podcasts. And again, you might say, well, Accelerate's not really a marketing podcast. But last week again, had Jay Bear, arguably one of our top digital marketing experts, honest my guests, along with many in the past weeks, we've had many marketing people on the show. And the reason for that is is I believe that if you want to become the best version of ourselves. If we want to become the best best version of ourselves that we can, we have to break out of the sales silo and become educated about what's happening in other disciplines. It's how we develop the worldview that enables us to become leaders. So, stick with us because we're going to have a lot more of that coming on the show. So, back to the anniversary. What's been your favorite episode so far on Accelerate? I'd like to hear what it's been. So, if you need to review the episodes, you can go to andypaul.com forward slash podcast hyphen quick hyphen reference. That's complete listing of all the episodes on the show, all 581. And if you go to the homepage of AndyPaul.com on the lower hand side of the homepage of the screen, you'll see a red button that says ask a question. Ash, you can use that just to leave us an audio message about what's been your favorite episode. And if you do that today, I'll send you a signed copy of my best-selling book, Amp Up Your Sales. So if you want that, remember leave your physical mailing address so we can send it to you. Before we get to Marshall Goldsmith, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Akunu. Akunu for Sales uses a visual framework to help sales reps sell in complex accounts and help sales managers coach and manage their reps. So, furthering enabling sales organizations to improve their sales performance by surfacing the information that drives better sales execution. Keeps sales reps and sales managers focused on following your sales process and engaging all the right buyers at the right time. To learn more, go to akunu, that's A-K-O-O-N-U dot com forward slash accelerate. That's A-K-O-O-N-U.com com forward slash accelerate. Finally, before we get to the interview, I want to remind you, as always, that we want to hear your questions about the challenges you're facing in sales and sales management. Each week, we'll choose a question uh, with my co-host on my Friday episodes, Bridget Gleason. Bridget and I will choose a question, submitted the previous week, and we'll answer it on the show. The winner, the person who submitted the winning question or the one that we answer, win a free half-hour coaching call with me. Now, that's over a $250 value, so don't delay. Submit your question today, and you can do that via email at andy at or as before, go to andypaul.com, homepage, lower right-hand corner, red button says Ask a Question. Click on that. You can leave us an audio message with your question. Okay. Without further delay, let's jump into the interview. Marsha Goldsmith, welcome to Accelerate. Very happy to be here. Well, my pleasure. I'm honored to be able to speak with you. And, and uh, We were just talking just a few minutes ago about um, your book, Triggers, which I want to talk about today. Uh, full title, Triggers Creating Behaviors That Last, Becoming the Person You Want to Be, which is a great book for a sales audience, I think, because I think 90% of salespeople wish they were different and better than they are. So, first question for you then is, you know, it seems like there's a lot being written about um, habit change. I mean, obviously there's Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg's, but then I you know, look at the books available on habit change, behavior change, and it seems to be, and there's some newer books coming out, some other authors, it seems to be sort of the topic du jour. Why, why is that in the last few years?
1: I think people have become more sensitized to the importance of interpersonal behavior and how to create positive, lasting change in behavior. That's basically what I've been doing for 30 years. And I think over the years, it has become increasingly more valued and seen as more important. I think one reason is, as Peter Drucker said, more and more, we work with people called knowledge workers. Now, what's the definition of knowledge worker? As a manager, they know more about what they are doing than I do. Well, when we deal with knowledge workers, we can't just tell them what to do and how to do it. We have to ask, we have to listen, mm. we have to learn and be adaptable. So, as that has happened, the behavioral elements have become more and more important, and in some ways, the technical expertise has become less important.
0: Well, are we finding that it's, it's um, you know, the messages are the lessons taking? I mean, one of the things that that I find sort of interesting, and, and maybe maybe no one else does, but yeah, you know, let's say take sales for As You know, we spend you know, a lot of time. Yeah, you know, teaching just yeah these these basic sort of interpersonal lessons that that you think at some point sort of just be ingrained to people as they're raised and brought up. But I guess to a point you had made in an earlier conversation we had is, is we just don't teach
1: these things. Well, there's a huge difference between common sense and common practice, and also your comment is kind of based on assumption. If people understand something, they will do it. There's a huge gap between I know what to do and I do it.
0: And so what's the key to bridging that gap?
1: Well, I think we need far more help and structure than we want to admit. We grossly overestimate the importance of willpower. That's probably the deepest learning I've had as a coach in the past three years is, you know, don't count on willpower for that much. Uh, For example, I teach my classes and I say, uh, who needs to be a better listener? And about half the room raises their hand. And then I'll call on some guy that seems very blustery and probably never listened in his life and said, you know, Joe, how many years have you been needing to become a better listener? And the guy will say 30 years. So I say, raise your right hand and repeat after me. My name is Joe. I need to be a better listener. I've not fixed this by myself in 30 years. Who am I kidding? I'm not going to fix this by myself in the future. <laughs> I need help. It's okay. <laughs> One thing I'm very proud of in my book, Triggers, is uh, 27 as you know, major CEOs endorsed that book. Mm-hmm. Why I'm so proud of that is 30 years ago, no CEO would admit to having a coach. They wouldn't have been ashamed to have had a coach, embarrassed to have a coach. Well, these are 27 incredibly important people that stood up and said, you know what? I'm the president of the World Bank. I need help, and it's okay. I'm the CEO of the year in the United States. I need help, and it's okay. I won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I still need help, and it's okay. I think that's a big step forward.
0: It is, but I mean, it's funny. We still have a in our society, though. This this way you look at sort of even the the stigma of mental illness, which I'm not saying if you need a coach that's mental illness, but it is to some people perceived as admitting to a weakness.
1: Well, a, a way I like to look at this is. How many of the top 10 tennis players have coaches? Yeah, they all do. Of course they do. Well, is that a sign of weakness?
0: No, no, I'm just, i just said, I'm, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I think everybody should have a coach,
1: but. Yeah, it's, I think people are slowly getting over that though, in a very positive way. Uh, you know, years ago, I really, really tried to help change coaching from this helping losers get better to helping winners. And now, I think more and more that transition is occurring much more than it used to be at least. Coaching is much more acceptable than it was thirty years ago, yeah,
0: yeah, undoubtedly. And as you said, you see that with the CEOs and and we see it even and I see it, yeah, you know, I don't coach fortune five hundred CEOs like you do, but I do coach CEOs of smaller enterprises and mm-hmm. and uh, we're even seeing at least in our business, more individuals, you know individual contributors not. Executives that are willing to pay their own
1: money for coaching. I think it's a fantastic trend.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's uh, widespread yet, but you certainly see more of that. So let's let's talk about behavior change and and habit formation. And you had a a difference in your book, which I thought was really critical compared to a lot of the others that have been out there. But let's start with sort of the idea of what is a, a trigger.
1: A trigger is any stimulus may impact. Uh, my behavior—it could be a sight, a sound, a word, a person—any stimulus that may impact our behavior is a trigger. And
0: one of the things that you get into differently, the different perspective I enjoyed in your book is that, unlike a lot of the other books, and Do Higgs is one—and which is an excellent book, as as you pointed out as well—but but it's more about sort of the changes, routines, and and habits. And yours is really about how we change our habits. The routines have to do with our interpersonal interactions.
1: That that's true. i in my job as an executive coach, I have a unique billing system. I don't get paid if my clients don't get better. Better is not judged by me or them, it's judged by everyone around them. So my whole focus is on changing interpersonal behavior and perception, which is not easy to do. It's what I teach is not hard to understand. Right. It's very, very difficult to do. If you read my book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, which I have done. You yeah. read Funny Stories. After- Well, thank you. You you read funny story after funny story after funny story. Well, it's tempting to read the book and think, these people are a bunch of idiots. Well, the people in the book all have IQs of 150, and they're all CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies. And they'll all tell you, this stuff is real easy to understand. This stuff is hard to do.
0: Yeah, well, you give an example in in your book, Triggers, about the meeting of the CEOs at uh, the Four Seasons restaurant. Right. (laughs) Maybe you could tell people that story. That was a a great illustration.
1: I, I find my clients twenty dollars if they begin any sentence with no butter, however. And um I say that again if they begin with what? No butter, however. If someone yeah, talks nope. to you the okay. first word, no butter, however, I find them twenty dollars. <laughs> well, you know, it sounds so simple. You know, okay, well just don't do that, right? Well, it's so ingrained that you know we're and we're going twenty dollars, forty dollars, sixty dollars, eighty dollars. One of the CEOs, one of the biggest companies in the world, I mentioned in the book, has to leave dinner to go to a cash machine because he's he's run out of money. (laughs) I've raised over a million dollars for my poor clients by fining them for these various sins. And, you know, it's very hard to do because our instinctive reaction is to prove we're right and that other people are wrong. I have a quiz I do in my classes and I mentioned in Trigger's. What percent of all interpersonal communication time is spent on A, someone talking about how smart, special, or wonderful they are, or listening to that, plus B, somebody talking about how dumb somebody else is, or listening to that? And the answer from around the world is right about 65%. Well, you know, cut that out. Life is much more positive and productive. The thing is, we're ingrained to do it. One of my great clients said, For the great individual achiever, it's all about me, and for the great leader, it's all about them. Well, we're used to being a great achiever, being reinforced by being smart, making high grades. It's so hard to get out of that habit when you get into a leadership role, when your real job is to help other people become a success, not to be the star yourself.
0: Yeah, which is is really the role of salespeople as well, is, is to make their customers a success and make it less about them. And what I found was, was really interesting about one thing that's very interesting about the book when you talk about changing these interpersonal habits is that yeah there's a lot of of authors and research that's that will contend that as we move into sort of what some people believe is the second machine age is more artificial intelligence machine learning mm-hmm. you know big data come into the workplace that that uh, for the people that that don't be disrupted by this technology is the value they need to create is to become better at the interpersonal I agree and so this whole idea about Habit change regarding interpersonal relations is becoming more important, and it's, you know for again, for people listening to the show, this is really something you have to to focus on um, so you you have a you referenced du I think a lot of people read him, talk about his cue routine reward as three parts to behavior change and for interpersonal, you added in three three steps you call it micro moments, i guess uh, right. in there, which which I think Let's go through because you know, people need to understand how deliberate and thoughtful you have to be about this process.
1: Well, I'm going to give you an example. I'll give you the model and then I'm going to give you an example. Typically as we journey through life there is a trigger. And this trigger leads to an impulse and the impulse leads to behavior. What I've added in the book is there's still going to be triggers and have to be impulses. But if you can stop and achieve a level of awareness, then you recognize I have a choice. And my behavior becomes a function of the choice, not a function of the impulse. And I'll give you an example. Um, In my classes, I teach people, don't try to win all the time. And I use a funny story. said, have you ever had this happen before? You know, you have a hard day at work. You come home. Your husband, my friend, or partner's there. The other person said, I had such a hard day. I had such a hard day. And that triggers a competitive mode in us. And we say, you had a hard day. You had a hard day. Have <laughs> any idea what I had to put up with today. You see, we're so competitive. We have to prove we're more miserable than people we live with. I gave this example in my class at the Dharma Tuck School. A young guy in the back raised his hand said, I did that last week. Ask him what happened. He said, my wife looked at me and said, honey, you think you had a hard day. It's not over. I got an email that's in the book, Triggers, to me that perfectly illustrates the point. Uh, A young man sent me an email. He said, I just want to send you an email today. He said, thank you. He said, I know you don't remember me. He said, I was in your class five years ago. And he said, yesterday my wife called. She was having a hard day. And he said, I was under all kinds of pressure and stress. And I was just getting ready to point out how her problems paled in significance to my own. And then All of a sudden, you know, I remembered your course, and I started breathing, and I thought, this is my wife. This is someone that I love. This is not the enemy. And I just said, thank you for all you've done for the family. I love you. And then he said, I went home. I spent 25 bucks. I bought her some flowers. I gave her the flowers. I said, I love you. He said, it's the best $25 I've ever spent in my life. Thank you very much. Well, to me, if I get one of those emails every day, my life is good. And that's kind of what that book is about. Just there's still a trigger. You still have that impulse if you can become aware like he did, and then I realize I have a choice. Another thing I talk about in the book is there's a you know what's our behavior? what it's a function of what we control and what we don't control. And you know different schools of thought. At one extreme, you have the b f. Skinner School, that basically he was a Harvard psychologist, said, mm-hmm. Our entire lives are just a function of our environmental responses to triggers. And that basically these triggers control our lives. And basically, we are a stimulus response machine. We don't really have willpower at all. The other extreme opposite is uh, you know the motivational speech. You know, Jimmy was tired, sick, and poor, couldn't find a date. Now Jimmy's rich and he has right. three wives. And, you know, and and did you ever read a book called The Secret? I, no, but I know about it, yes. It's one of the most ridiculous books ever written, and it sold seven million copies. The essence of the book is, if I envision it, it will happen. Mm-hmm. And they tell these stories like, you know, Mary was tired and sick and and, and poor, and, and then they, they told her she couldn't make it, and now she's a Hollywood star, and then and Jimmy had cancer, and envisioned it went away and did, and and Harry wanted to be the basketball champion, he envisioned it, and he was. All the stories, by the way, are true, I have a degree in math. There's a minor problem, though, in their research. It's called the survivor bias. They didn't interview the dead people. <laughs> they, they didn't interview the the thousand waitresses in Hollywood who dreamed of being movie stars, right. and didn't interview the basketball teams that lost who did exactly the same thing as the winners. Right. So I believe that all this positive thinking is good. It's going to help you improve your odds, but to naively believe, just because I think in a certain way it's going to happen, is ridiculous. Well, if that were true, my sex life as a teenage boy would have been a whole lot better than it was because I did a lot of envisioning. <laughs> yeah, as all of us,
0: right? As all of us would have, yes.
1: <laughs> nothing ever happened. <laughs> so the book Triggers says there's still going to be triggers. You're still going to have an impulse, but to the degree you can stop, become aware, realize you have a choice, the idea is not to create a perfect change. You're not going to become God or in control of everything. The idea, though, is to move a little of your behavior in that positive direction so more and more your behavior is a function of your choice, not just the impulse.
0: Well, and also it, it doesn't mean, this is something that somebody had mentioned to me once as I started talking about this, was there's they thought that meant the awareness part was, well, we become sort of paralyzed by analysis. And that's not what you're saying at all. It's just to be aware of the potential consequences, and it doesn't take... You know, a minute or two minutes or whatever, uh, or a day to to think what those are.
1: Well, it's just like the case study. I mean, the, the gentleman's at work; he's under stress. His wife calls; it's a trigger. He's stressed out. He has an impulse. He's getting ready to point out that her problems pale by comparison to it his. Is, right. Just taking that one second to stop and breathe and think. Wait a minute. This is someone I love. This is not the enemy. It doesn't take that long. It just takes discipline to do it. So how do you
0: see this being influenced by you know digital communications?
1: Well, positive and negative, there's a lot of both. I, I wrote I made a prediction twenty years ago. I said within twenty years media addiction will far surpass drug addiction, and alcohol addiction combined is a social problem. We're already there. Media addiction, in our society is a disaster. Uh, the average kid is flunking out of school, is spending fifty-five hours a week on non-academic media. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's awful, and I think very important because again, this is a stimulus. Uh, let me give you one of the negatives of sure. the new the new world: it's vicarious living, living through other people. Uh, in New York, at my condominium, one of my neighbors was a young woman named Lindsay Lohan. How many many millions of hours got spent around the world? People reading. Lindsay Lohan got drunk and stoned and was in a car wreck. Right. Right. Well, you know, why are you wasting your whole life talking about Lindsay Lohan? Uh, You know, I always tell people in my classes, you everything my neighbor Lindsay Lohan is a loser. She's not wasting her life reading about you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's a great, great perspective, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Flip it around. In the new world, you know, it is so easy to get this short-term stimulus. What is vicarious living? Vicarious living is a search for excitement without risk. You know, it's so easy to play video games or to watch TV or movies online or do all of these things that produce the short-term stimulation. They're really not meaningful. And at the end of the day you got to focus on what matters in life what's meaningful young man drives me back and forth to Dartmouth 32 years old slunked out of school spent 25,000 hours of his life playing World of Warcraft a video game 25,000 hours you can get 2 PhDs in 25,000 hours you played a video game well what does it mean it means nothing it's just empty pleasure so i think now again i don't want to sound all negative because in my article i said the new world is a dream come true and a, and a nightmare at the same time. It's also a dream come true in terms of you basically have access to a global mind. You can learn from everyone around the world. I mean, there's huge positives. And at the same time, there are negatives, though. So I see it as, I see it as a, a dream come true and a nightmare at the same time.
0: Yeah, and you, you talk about that in the book when you talk about, you know, we don't live in a static environment. <laughs> Right. it's So when well, you start getting into the idea, it's, it's situational and it's, I think you call it a hyperactive shape shifter. And, right. and that sort of plays into what you were just talking about is, is, yeah, it seems like we have a multiple of stimuli compared to what we would have had 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, for sure. That's right. That's right. And so the awareness then really becomes, becomes key at that point. And this is a part I think pe- I, I see that people sort of dismiss, and I see it in business situations that, that um, certainly in sales where people are so scripted that they don't have the situ- situational awareness they need. As a consequence, you know, their effectiveness and efficiency goes way down.
1: Yeah, they're, they're lost in their script, and they're not becoming sensitive to the environmental clues around them
0: yeah yeah and then they they miss it miss it completely, and they they wonder why um, yeah. yeah I mean you, so you use a, a the terms or planners and doers as you know sort of differentiating between the two, and may tell people what you mean by that well,
1: one of my favorite chapters in the book is about why we don't do what we know we should, and I talk about all these delusions. One of them is called the planner doer bias. We believe the person who's making the plan for the day is the same as the person who's executing the plan.
0: Yeah, meaning meaning us, right? We're we're both. uh, We embody both.
1: Well, the planner that's planning to go on the healthy food diet is not the same as the doer that's hungry at the end of the day staring at the chocolate cake. Those are two very, very different people. So when the person making the plan, when we make the plan, we assume that same person making the plan is going to be the person executing. And then I just go on with, you know, delusion. After, the one, A couple of them I love. One of them well, is called, sure, it's a sure. special day. I, I'm going to get this done, but it's my birthday. It's my mother's birthday. It's my kid's birthday. It's my dog's birthday. It's somebody's birthday. I mean, you know, we have all these wonderful delusions that keep us from doing what we know we should. Another one I love is called the high probability of low probability events. We don't plan that the computer's going to break. We're going to have a car wreck. Our aunt is going to die you know our, our foot hurts we don't plan on anything that's low in probability because we think it's low in probability the problem is and i have a degree in math there are a million low probability events that can occur in any day and while the odds on one happening to throw you off course quite small the odds on something happening is almost certain we almost never go through a day where something doesn't happen to throw us off course and
0: so how do you accommodate that
1: well what happens is when we plan our lives, we need to realize how difficult it is to achieve these goals and how we probably are going to be thrown off course. And we do need much more structure and direction than we, than we want to admit. Let me use myself as an example. One of my favorite parts of the book is I talk about the daily question process.
0: Yeah, I was going to get there. I love it.
1: The daily question process takes three minutes a day, costs nothing. And will help people get better at almost anything. Now, I'll explain it to your listeners. And some of them are skeptical right now. They're thinking, three minutes a day costs nothing. Help me get better at almost anything. That's ridiculous. Too good to be true. Half the people start doing it quit within two weeks. And they do not quit because it does not work. They quit because it does work. (laughs) This is is real easy to understand. Take my word for it. If you ever tried it, it is. Most people can't do it. It's hard to do. I pay a woman to call me on the phone every day. Every day, she just listens to me read comments that I wrote and provide answers I wrote every day. Now, why do I do that? Somebody said, why do you do that? Don't you know the theory about how to change behavior? I wrote the theory about how to change behavior. That's why I do it. My name is Marshall Goldsmith. I'm the world's number one ranked leadership thinker. I'm the world's number one ranked executive coach. I wrote a book on how to change behavior. I pay a woman to call me on the phone every day. She listens to me read questions I wrote and provide answers I wrote every day. Why do I do this? My name is Marshall Goldsmith. I'm too (laughs) undisciplined to do this by myself and I'm too cowardly to do this by myself. I need help. It's okay. See, once we can admit we need help, life is better. Now back to my case study. Here's your homework assignment. Get out an Excel spreadsheet. On one column, write down a series of questions to represent what's most important in your life. Every question must be answered with a yes or no or a number. Yes is recorded as a one, no as a zero, or a number. At the end of the week, one box across for every day of the week, the Excel spreadsheet will give you a report card. I will warn your listeners in advance, that report card at the end of the week might not be quite as beautiful as that corporate values plaque you see stuck up on the wall. I've been doing this for years. You do this every day, you learn something real quick. Life is incredibly easy to talk. Life is incredibly difficult to live. Well, it's really easy to understand this, and it works. It's real hard to do it. It's real hard to look in that mirror day after day after day. And my daughter taught me something called active questions, which has really been a breakthrough.
0: Right, which I was gonna have to ask you to bring up because I think that's really when you talk about putting together your daily questions the active question part of. It's really, really the difference maker.
1: It is. And, and they start with the phrase, did I do my best too? And the hardest question you could ever ask yourself has four qualities. Number one, you write the question. Why is that hard? Well, you can't blame the idiot that wrote the question. Number two, you know the answer. Why is that hard? You can't say you don't know how to do it. Number three, you know it's important. And number four, all you have to do to make a high score is try. You don't have to succeed. All you have to do is try. Why is that so hard? No one to blame. If I wrote the answer and I know it's important and, you know, I know how to do it and I didn't even try, whose fault is that? Kind of hard to blame somebody else. So my first six active questions all begin with the phrase, did I do my best to? And I highly recommend these to all your listeners every day. Number one, did I do my best to set clear goals? Rather than saying, did someone else give me clear goals, did I do my best to set my own goals every day? Number two, did I do my best to make progress toward goal achievement? Number three, did I do my best to find meaning? Number four, did I do my best to be happy? I'll tell you a story that's in the book. I never coached a medical doctor until recently. Now I coach three. Dr. Jim Kim has a simultaneous MD and PhD with honors from anthropology in Harvard in five years. A normal person takes eight years to get the anthropology degree. He got one in five years with honors and an MD at the same time. Mm. He's now president of the World Bank. So when the brains are passed out, he's not at the back of the line. Right. Dr. John Nosworthy, CEO of the Mayo Clinic, number one hospital in the world. And Dr. Raj Shah's was formerly head of USAIDs, now he's head of the, the Rockefeller Foundation so three brilliant men and they have the rights to use their name and they are in the book. All three, I ask him on a typical day, how would you score on this question, did I do my best to be happy? All three had the same answer never dawned on me to try to be happy. I was too busy achieving crap. Well, I ask him, did it dawn on you? You're going to die? Because they're all medical doctors. I said, yeah, yeah, they figured that out I said, do you think that's a silly question? I said, no, it's a great question. I forgot to ask. My favorite line in the book triggers about the three friends of mine, even the greatest sharpshooter can miss a very big target. Mm -hmm. These are three people whose IQs were off the chart. Every day they were missing a big target. They kind of forgot to be happy. (laughs) Then question number five is, did I do my best to build positive relationships with others? And finally, question number six, did I do my best to be fully engaged? Not did some company engage me. Did I engage myself? Well, these are six great questions. And if you look at our research, we study this. The scores on this are off the charts. Just by doing this every day, people have phenomenally higher scores in terms of, of, you know, all six. And some a lot of people improve on everything. Uh, more than half the people improve on four of the six items just by doing this every day for ten days.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that that beginning part of this of the phrase of so the question is: Did I do my best too? Um, yeah, it makes all the difference, right? If you just have you know something on your to-do list, uh, you know, learn something new today, as opposed to did I do my best to try to learn something new? Yeah. Yeah, it makes, uh, makes all the difference. So yeah, I've, 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 I set, up, I've set up my daily questions.
1: Oh, it's wonderful. And my daughter Kelly, she's going to be a professor at Vanderbilt, she got a PhD. at Yale. She's helped me with a lot of this stuff. And the active questions make a huge difference. Here's why if you ask a passive question, most employee engagement surveys are on passive questions. For example, do you have clear goals?" And someone says, no. They blame the environment. No, I don't have goals because they, they're weird. Uh, they, 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 they were confused. Do you have meaningful work? No, they make me do trivia. You know? Do you have a best friend at work? No, they are jerks. It's always them. Mm-hmm. When you ask, did you do your best to? You can't blame somebody else. Now, by the way, I got a PhD from UCLA. When I was there, the basketball coach was named John Wooden. Greatest yep. past basketball coach in college history. His right. whole philosophy of life, do your best. He said, "If you do your best and win, be proud. You do your best and lose, still be proud. Why? All you can do in life is do your best anyway. That's all you can do, and focus on that."
0: Yeah, it's a great, a great tool, and the daily questions. And I, I recommend everybody that's listening, you know, get a copy of the book, go through, read the book, get to that section. Um, so, I guess one of the things that that a lot of people would first question, I, I guess I have it as well, is is because you put a lot of stress on having an accountability partner when, yes. you, when you do this. And you talked about that in one of your earlier books, uh, Mojo, yes. I think you talked about. Huh? You know, every day you called a friend and you guys basically went through the list of questions with each other. Every um,
1: day. By the way, it saved his life. Really? How so? Uh, one of his daily questions is, are you currently updated on your physical exam? First 90 days he did this, he said no every day. After 90 days he said, you know, this is crazy. I'm failing a test every day, and I wrote the question. He said, I gotta get the dumb exam or quit asking. Well, he got the dumb exam. The doctor said you have cancer. Now that was years ago. He's gonna be fine. The doctor also said, Had you waited seven more months, you would have been dead. Well, he knew he should have got a physical exam. He just didn't do it. Well, when you put a mirror in your face every day, you, you can't hide. You have to face the reality of your own your own behavior.
0: So the last question that we have time for is, is, so how would you recommend people go about finding this accountability partner?
1: You know what? You don't need, I'm going to give you a couple of options. One, anybody that wants to do the same thing themselves and is as motivated as you are could be a good partner. Two, you don't have to find a partner. You could pay somebody. You as, could pay as somebody. You do, right? I, yeah, as I have. I've done both. You can pay somebody. You can pay somebody some minimal amount of money. All they have to do is call you up and listen to you, read questions that you wrote and provide answers that you wrote. This isn't rocket science. The point is just that day-to-day-to-day reminder. The book, The Checklist Manifesto, why Mm -hmm. does the doctor need the nurse to go through the list over and over? Because they forget. Right. Just by having the nurse do it, the odds on unneeded infection plummet, the death rate's cut by two-thirds. The daily question's Exactly like the process of the checklist in the hospital.
0: Yeah, which is another, another great book, Atul Gowan's book about that. Um, yes. Well, Marshall, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but um, <laughs> we could talk about this for quite a bit longer. Um, tell people how they can find out more about you and, and connect with you.
1: Well, I give everything away. So there's a couple of ways you can get a hold of me or learn about what I do. One is, if you want to be a LinkedIn follower, I have about 730,000 LinkedIn followers. I do new videos on LinkedIn almost every week, a blog almost every week. Uh, I have a website, www.marshallgoldsmith.com. Marshall has two L's. I give away all on, all my material online. It's all free. You can copy, share, download, duplicate any of my stuff that you wish. Um, pretty easy to get a hold of me. I am I'm, as you know, I'm adopting 100 people. Uh, I've, I've got 55 I'm going to mentor, teach everything I know for free. Um, if you're interested, just go to my website. You can learn about it and apply for it. I will warn you in advance on that one, though. I have over 12,000 applicants. So it's kind of of tough to get in. (laughs) But I've still got 45 positions left. So anyway, I'm really easy to find. I give away everything. I'm a Buddhist. My basic attitude is, we're all going to be equally dead. Let's do a little good here.
0: Love it. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today. And friends, thank you for joining us. Remember, come back again tomorrow for another great episode of accelerate. And if you haven't had a chance to do so, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, wherever you listen to it. Leave us a review. We really appreciate your feedback. So, thanks again for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.